Welcome to the second part of the surgery of the esophagus. We have left off with the closure of the esophagus after esophagotomy. And the next procedure is done when we need to remove part of the esophagus to remove either a tumor or a necrotizing tissue in the area. And so in partial esophagectomy, only about three to five centimeter is removed. If you need to remove more than that, then you have to consider replacing the esophagus with an intestinal segment. And so approach to the esophagus for esophagectomy would be similar to that for esophagotomy. And so when you have visualized esophageal part to remove, carefully dissect the periesophageal tissues to mobilize the normal esophagus. But be careful not to damage any blood vessels because we have large, or the animal will have large blood vessels in the area, not to mention thyroid and other organs. Then occlude and stabilize the esophagus with the fingers of the assistant surgeon, or you can use a non-crushing forceps if that is available. Resect the deceased portion of the esophagus and suction debris from the lumen of the remaining esophagus. After you have removed the deceased portion, suction and suctioning the debris, place three equally spaced stay sutures at each end of the remaining esophagus to prevent the twisting of the esophagus when closing it. Then bring the ends in opposition using the stay suture and close. As you can see in slide 17, closure is usually done by two layers. And it is in a four-step procedure. So first, oppose the adventitia and the muscularis on the far side with simple interrupted sutures and extra luminal nuts. Around approximately one half of the esophageal circumference. Second step is to oppose the mucosa and submucosa still on the far side with simple interrupted sutures with the nuts inside the lumen. Third step would be to oppose the near side submucosa and mucosa still with an intraluminal nut, probably except for the last one, because that would be quite tricky on how to put that in. The last step would be to oppose the near side muscularis and adventitia, again with simple interrupted suture pattern. Before removing the occlusion, check the integrity of the closure by injecting saline with syringe, of course, and then apply pressure and observe for leakage between sutures. If there are any leakage, then you can put in another interrupted suture pattern in the affected area. Slide 18 now. If thoracic surgery was done, you have to evacuate the air and fluid via thoracostomy tube, which you may remove 8-12 hours after, especially if you don't expect any buildup of fluids, or you can use a needle for thoracic thoracocentesis. Now, a post-op complication would be dehiscence. 
and this is due to excessive tension. And excessive tension may happen if you have removed uh, quite a long segment of the esophagus. And so to stop this or to prevent this, you can do either circumferential myotomy or move the stomach cranially or do an esophagopexy. So an esophagopexy is to attach the esophagus to the prevertebral fascia. Circumferential myotomy is just that. It is a partial thickness incision through the longitudinal muscle layers of um, the esophagus. And you will incise into the muscle about two to three centimeter cranial and caudal to the side. But do not include the inner circular muscle layer. To identify the muscle layers, you may inject saline into the muscularis and see the, the separation or the, the run of the muscle fibers. Now, healing in this case is usually by secondary intention, and then you leave it at that. Now, this in slide 19, as you can see, is the illustration for the circumferential myotomy incision. Slide 20, post-op medications would be depending on the organ and the outcome. And for the esophagus, we would expect some anaerobes. So the usual antibiotics used here are ampicillin, cephalosporins, clindamycins, endofloxacin, amikacin, and PMPS. Now, tube feeding may also be done. And using recovery diet or liquid diet to give to the animal. It is very important to keep the nutrition on the animal top-notch. Slide 21 now. Some of the post-op management um, that you should do would be to put in nasal oxygen as much as possible and then uh, restrict feeding. So you may put in feeding tube you could do a gastrotomy, gastrostomy feeding tube for that because you cannot let the uh, food pass through where the incision one. And then of course, antibiotic, and you do not want to feed bones to these animals because that can stretch the esophagus and could cause diseases. The right side of the slide would show you some of the complications that you may expect, but hope not. So these are esophageal stricture, leakage, and leakage could cause septicemia, which will be seen by fever and neutrophilia, or an increase in white blood cell count and neutrophils. Dysphagia and regurgitation within three to six weeks post-op may indicate esophageal stricture formation. So survival of the patient depends on preventing complications, organ failure, sepsis, and malnutrition. And this is in general, not, the, not just in animals, wherein surgical procedure was done in the esophagus. So it could be any. Now, however, uh, 
there are some things that you can do to prevent this. So complications, you can prevent that by giving or knowing the exact nature and status of the animal before doing the surgical procedure. And you can prevent organ failure by putting in fluid therapy and making sure that the blood pressure of the animal is um, close to normal. Sepsis is prevented by giving, of course, antibiotics. And malnutrition is prevented by giving food. Now, sometimes, more often than that, animals cannot eat because there is a pathologic disease going on inside. So to prevent that from happening, you can give uh, food via feeding tubes. And the nutrition is important because it prevents complications associated with the disease. It would enhance drug therapy efficacy. It would also enhance wound healing and provide nutrients or building blocks to facilitate immunocompetence and thus recovery of the animal. So you can see in slide 24, you have to overcome inappetence or anorexia or vomiting. So to do that, to overcome these things, you can either do hand feeding, syringe feeding, or placing feeding tubes. And feeding tubes, from the names itself, you can see uh, or you can tell already where the feeding tube is introduced and where the tip ends, such that an orogastric feeding tube, the tube is placed into the oral cavity and the tip ends in the stomach. For esophagostomy tube, feeding tube, it is placed into the esophagus and the tip also ends in the esophagus and so on and so forth. So in esophagostomy, there are a lot of YouTube videos on this which you can um, check out, especially if you cannot understand what I'm talking about here. We're now in slide 27, wherein you can see the different types of feeding tubes that could be used. Now, usually the tube that you will use is what is available to you at the vet facility. And the size would be dependent on where you would be putting it in. Now, the rule of thumb is put in the biggest tube that you could put into the animal for um, its size, okay? So that there will be no complication of um, obstruction in the feeding tube. And the feeding tube size is uh, gauge or the scale used is the French scale or the French gauge system. And this is to measure the size of a catheter or the feeding tube. And one French is equivalent to 0.33 millimeters. And this would pertain to the inside diameter of the catheter. And so therefore the diameter of the catheter in millimeters can be determined by dividing the French size by three. As you can see in slide 28, I have encircled there a French eight to 16, which is what uh, size is used usually for cats. Obviously the bigger the cat, the bigger the size that you will be using. For dogs, the usual 
feeding tube size to use would be from French 12 to 24. This is a slide 29, wherein you can see a table of what different types of feeding tube to use and when to use it, what size to use, and some of the remarks. Of course, we will concentrate here on the esophagostomy feeding tube. And this is used if the animal cannot maintain the blood, body weight and the body conditions for, or unable to consume the food orally, or if there's nasal disease. And the esophagostomy feeding tube is placed in there from, for medium to long-term use. Now, the length of time to use this would be dependent on the tube to use. There are some tubes that would easily uh, break down. So in that case, you could uh, probably use it only for like three to 10 days, not longer than that. But a daily examination of the tube will indicate or will tell you already when to change the tube. Now, exit site to the seventh or eighth intercostal space would be the length of the tube you know, that you're going to uh, use or mark. You have to aseptically prepare the left lateral neck. Of course, this will be for dogs and cats. So to do this, as you can see here, we have a cat in slide 30 with no drapes and the drape there was removed, removed just so uh, it would be easier to see. But obviously in a real case, you would want to drape the animal so that no hairs would be seen. The illustration on the right would show you how to do this. So when you're ready to do your surgery, you have to prepare the mid cervical area from the angle of the mandible to the thoracic inlet for septic surgery. Then a speculum is placed to hold the mouth open. Alternatively, you could also hold the mouth open by passing a gauze um, through the maxilla and over the mandible and keep it open with the assistant surgeon's hand. And then pre-measure the feeding tube from its insertion point to the level of the seventh or eighth intercostal space. Now the insertion point would be that at the corner of the mandible or just cowed to the corner of the mandible. Then the tube is marked with a permanent marker and then enlarge the two lateral openings of the feeding tube to encourage a smoother flow of the blended diet. And then a caramel hemostat can be used to place the tube. So place the oblique tip of the instrument shaft into the oral cavity to the level of the mid cervical region. Then from the outside, palpate the tip as it bulges through the cervical skin. Now holding the instrument steady, make a small incision 
over the tip of the device and push the instrument through the incision of the skin. And then using the tip of the scalpel blade, carefully enlarge the incision into the subcutaneous tissue. And then after that, hold the tip of the feeding tube with the caramel hemostat and bring this into the esophagus and out of the mouth. And once it is out into the mouth, pull the tube so that most of the tube is out through the mouth and then now redirect the feeding tube back into the mouth and into the esophagus. Now it is important to note that at this point that it would be to your advantage if the animal already has an endotracheal tube so that the feeding tube will not inadvertently be placed into the trachea. Okay, and if you would view the slides in PowerPoint presentation, then you can see the activation of the slides there. So then the feeding tube is fed into the esophagus through the mouth using your fingers, glove fingers, of course, and then manipulate the tube so that at first the, the tube from the outside by the neck would be directed caudally. And as the feeding tube is inserted into the esophagus, then the outside tube would now then be bended, um, directed cranially. So then once the mark on the tube is reached, you stop because then you would know that the end or the tip of the tube is already within the distal portion of the esophagus. And now you're ready to keep the tube in place. To do that, there are two options for you to do. You can either put a first suture around the base of the tube on the skin, of course, and then do a finger trap suture pattern, or you could just anchor the suture material by the side of the skin incision and then proceed to create the finger trap suture pattern. On slide 35, you will see here some illustrations on how the Chinese finger trap suture pattern is done. So as you can see there, uh, the suture material is placed by the exit site. So you take a bite of the skin by the exit site. And again, as I have mentioned, you can either do a first three suture pattern around the exit site, or you can just place it directly beside the slit and place two square knots by the exit site. And then you would crisscross or encompass the feeding tube with the suture material and put surgeon's knot. 
Other options could either be a single throw or a double throw knot on top of the feeding tube and then crisscross underneath the feeding tube and then again do a surgeon's knot or a single throw hand knot. And repeat this several times, about five to seven times you can repeat that until you get the finger trap pattern function wherein when you pull the feeding tube, the suture material should tighten around the tube. By doing this, you would be sure that the feeding tube will not be uh, prematurely removed from where it is. So after placing of the Chinese finger trap suture pattern, you may now then bandage the feeding tube um, on the neck of the animal. After you have bandaged it in, it, was, it is suggested that you put in a column of water into the feeding tube just to keep foreign material out from the feeding tube. Of course, then the tip of the feeding tube uh, should be should have a, a stopper so that no foreign material goes in. When you're ready to give food to the animal through the feeding tube, so you can see in slide 38, using the feeding tube, you have to warm the food to near body temperature. So you're not supposed to put in uh, refrigerator cold food and offer the animal uh, food before tube feeding. And sometimes, you know, the animal could still eat around the tube and then flush the tube with water before putting in food. After the food has been uh, administered, then you flush again the tube with water and then leave a column of water in the tube. Now cap the tube after each feeding, which is very important and should not be missed. On slide 39, you can see there that the infusion of food um, is usually given bolus. And on the first day, the food may be given every three to eight, four hours, and then gradually increase it to, or gradually decrease it to three, three feedings per day. And always end with 10 ml warm water. Now the amount of food to be given would be dependent on the computed resting energy requirement. The exit site should be cleaned with antiseptic solution or soapy water, as you can see in slide 40. And you change the bandage daily or every two days. Again, give the patient the opportunity to eat before food tube feeding and consider removing when adequate oral intake resumes for at least two days. On slide 41, you can see there that the tube may be removed uh, several hours after a meal, so not immediately after. And to do that, you just need to cut the suture and then slowly withdraw the tube while pushing the area of the exit site 
in with gentle pressure and then you can just leave it for second body intention so no need of uh, suturing the skin incision next procedure is the correction of hiatal hernia and in this case this is quite um, different and a bit risky for hiatal hernia the approach would be through the abdomen or ciliotomy. And in hiatal hernia, there is an organ protrusion through the normal opening. At this point, it is the esophageal hiatus. And this esophageal hiatus has become enlarged. It is usually congenital, which will be diagnosed through radiograph, or it could also be traumatic in nature. So on the slide 43, you can see there a normal uh, radiograph and also the schematic diagram of the diaphragm, schematic drawing of the diaphragm, okay? And you can see there the esophageal hiatus and other openings that would be on the diaphragm would be for the caudal vena cava. And of course, also for the aorta. So these are the three openings in the diaphragm, but in a traumatic case, usually you would expect the esophageal hiatus to be destroyed. And so on the radiograph with that protrusion of the organ, this is how it would look like on radiograph. So that's one way to look at it. Um, so you can see the gaseous stomach is already pushed inside the thorax through the um, esophageal hiatus. Schematic diagram can be seen also on the right side, wherein there are different types of organ protrusion. It could just be the cardia. It could also include the gastric fundus and even uh, the torsion of the stomach into it. So again, the approach to this would be through the abdomen, the cranial third, and probably the sternum may be uh, needed to be incised, but if that could be avoided, that would also work. And you can pull the stomach back into the abdomen and use this rubber tubing across and through the caudal esophagus and at the uh, esophageal or gastroesophageal junction. So once you have uh, pulled the stomach and the gastroesophageal junction back into the abdomen, debride the hiatal edges and to debride this, you can use the back or the scalpel blade or um, scissors. And to think of that, it is just like to freshen up the wound so that there will be a wound for proper opposition. And now reduce the hiatal hernia, reduce the size of the esophageal hiatus with applicating uh, sutures or sutures across the diaphragm. 
so that the esophageal hiatus would be smaller and not too large for the organ to protrude again. Then suture the esophagus to the diaphragm, and which is called esophagopexy, and perform a tube or incisional gastropexy at the fungus. So when all of that is done, then you can close the ciliotomy incision or the abdominal incision. I if there are any questions, please do send me an email. Thank you.